Welcome, episode 7. Today's November 18th. This is your midweek update. Before we get into the episode, right off the bat, I want to talk to you about a couple of, um, we won't say sponsors, we'll say notable shout-outs. First of all, of course, Black Rifle Coffee Company, America's Coffee Company. You've heard me talk about them before. It is the freshest, smoothest cup of coffee you will have. And the best thing is, it is COVID-friendly. You're not going to HEB or your local grocery store to buy this coffee. It is being shipped to you, and it is not being roasted until you have placed the order. That's the beauty of Black Rifle Coffee. It's not sitting on a shelf for weeks, sometimes months, getting acidic and stale. It is roasted and shipped to you fresh and smooth and ready to go. You can, of course, buy it pre-ground. I choose to buy it whole bean, and I grind it myself. And really, once you've had, I'd I'd say, your hundredth cup of comparing between a pre-ground, well, really, take it all the way back to like a Folgers, and then you've got your more expensive premium brands that are still in the grocery store, sitting on the shelf for weeks or months, then take that up to Black Rifle Coffee pre-ground, which is great. Uh, but if you've got the ability, or I, I would almost say the will, <laughs> to spend the time grinding your own beans, put it into an espresso maker. I, I got an espresso maker. I don't know how to say the brand name. It's DeLonghi or something like that. I've used their espresso makers in the past at a place I used to work. And so I got a cheaper model, um, about 100 bucks at Best Buy. And it is a very manual process, but it gives you a very, very high quality espresso roast or not roast, but brew. Um, so it, whether you buy a ground or whole bean, you're going to notice the difference pretty quickly once you start taste comparing to other brands of coffee. Uh, but above that, beyond that, it's a company that is using a great product to do great things in our country. They are uh, supporting our veterans. They are themselves veterans, the owners, and most of the employees are veterans of our U.S. military branches. They also support our law enforcement officers, first responders. My favorite roast is a medium roast, and it is Five Alarm, and that one is dedicated to our Thin Red Line, uh, our firefighters out there, both paid and, of course, many volunteers, especially in your smaller communities. And Black Rifle Coffee supports those guys, and those guys support Black Rifle Coffee. It's a beautiful thing. It's awesome to see. Of course, no promo code. They are not a sponsor, but they are a great company. So I encourage you to visit www.blackrifflecoffee.com and take a look. I have their subscription plan. So it is a, it's a monthly or bi-monthly. I switched mine recently from monthly to bi-monthly because I wasn't drinking quite as much coffee. Um, but I, I assume I will very quickly jump back to once a month. They ship me my coffee and I never have to think about it. It just shows up at the door and I'm good to go. Uh, So I encourage you to do that. If you own a small business or if you need to give a gift to a family member or a friend, a coffee club subscription is great. If you wanted to get them on, you know, spend 60 bucks or whatever, 50 bucks, get them a few months worth of the subscription and then leave it up to them if they want to continue doing it after that. But everybody I have purchased a subscription for has been greatly appreciative and uh, in one case I stopped the subscription for a client because I had been doing it for many months and they continued doing it after the fact so that it's great to see second shout out is Operation Underground Railroad not necessarily a company that you're going to go buy a product from although they do have a store of course this is a nonprofit started by uh, Tim Ballard who used to be part of our government in the uh, I believe anti um, sex crimes Um, division 
But what he ended up doing, and it's an insanely beautiful but also long story, so I'm going to condense this to 30 seconds if possible. But he was, uh, within the, the, his, the functioning of his government position, he was pursuing a child who had been sold into slavery. This is in recent times. You may not hear about it in the news, but slavery exists today. And he was searching for this one child, which led him to realize there are so many children out there that have been either kidnapped or sold by their parents or given to an orphanage because the parents could not take care of them or the parents had died. And these kids are being taken from orphanages and then sold and trafficked as sex slaves. And I say kids, I don't mean preteens or teenagers or anything like that. I'm talking, I think what I saw the average age was like two or three to six, something like that. These are, these are babies. These are children and women as well. But Operation Underground Railroad really focuses on the children that are sold into sex slavery. And, uh, you know, we hear a lot of stuff today about um, America's past with slavery and as, as bad as it is. I asked the question, I think, episode five or six, you know, if if you were in the position back in those days of facing slavery and having to make a decision to support it or not, everybody would love to say that they would be on the right side of history. But you never know, except now you can know because there are modern day abolitionists and they are working at Operation Underground Railroad. You can choose to support the right side of this historical war on sex slavery. So give their site a visit, OURrescue.org. That's Operation Underground Railroad, OURrescue.org. And if you go to the, uh, I believe, what was it? The, on their homepage, the Join the Fight tab, very bottom of that little drop down is a Get eAlerts. And then there's a, uh, you can text the word updates to 51555 to enroll in updates. And they will send you just text message alerts whenever they're having a, uh, a struggle or if there is a, an ongoing operation. Uh, just this morning at 9 o'clock, they sent out an update. OUR operators are launching two rescue ops in a partner nation this week. Please keep them and the children in your prayers. Thank you. And that's it. So every now and then you just get these prayer requests almost saying we've got operators that are pinned down. You know, they, they've been trying to rescue some kids and now they're having to go into hiding in this foreign nation and these operators are ex-military. They are just, they are guys who are literally, and women, who are literally putting their lives on the line to save children from modern day slavery. Those are the modern day abolitionists and uh, they need your support. So check them out, OURrescue.org. They would be greatly appreciative of anything you can do, even if it's just buying a cool hat or a cool t-shirt. Um, I need to get a new hat. I had a, a nice trucker hat, the meshback from them. My favorite hat of all time. And of course, my douchebag dog chewed it up, so I need to replace that one. But uh, it's a very worthy cause and a very worthy and um, transparent and up-to-speed organization that are doing great things across the world. So check them out, OURrescue.org. Now let's get into episode 7 of the Point B Podcast. This is your midweek update. I'm your host, Bobby Esparza. We are back. I told you I'd be back Friday. I'm back on Wednesday. There's just too much going on, too much I couldn't get to on Monday. I'm getting long-winded today, so I'm going to jump through this introduction, and we're going to get straight into the podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about a potential Trump path to victory. What does that look like? Is it possible? And what are the ramifications of that? Uh, some truths that we know in that process and where we're currently at. 
uh, we had the hashtag uh, or air quotes MAGA Million March or Million MAGA March. There's a bunch of different names, uh, but a bunch of Trump supporters, definitely thousands, definitely not a million uh, supporters descended on D.C. The media had varying but very interesting takes on what that march was for and what came out of it. We'll get into that. Um, I want to compare several different news outlets uh, compared to somebody who was actually there on the ground giving real-time results. Uh, we'll also get into something called the Great Reset. People have been talking about the Great Reset for a long time, um, and they've mostly largely been labeled as conspiracy theorists, but we have a very prominent politician, uh, not in the United States, from Canada, who is talking about the Great Reset and what COVID-19 has done in that effort. And then if we would get the time, we'll look at some of the COVID vaccines that are coming out. We've got two that are being touted as 95% successful. Uh, Texas being one of the states that was chosen by Pfizer to test the vaccines. So we'll get into that as well. And in the, eff- in the efforts of not getting too long-winded, let's just jump straight into the episode right now. Alrighty, here we are, episode 7, your midweek update on the Point B podcast. First, I want to get into this potential Trump pathway to victory. So I've been trying to figure out what's the motivation of what what the Trump team is doing. Are they just trying to cause um, chaos in the election process? Do they really think they can win? I've been thinking maybe they are... They're just... They're claiming victory to be taken seriously so that they can root out all of this corruption and election fraud that everybody knows exists, but everybody has been, I guess, complacent or just become comfortable with a certain level of election fraud, which means, bottom line, they've been, they become comfortable or we've become comfortable with a certain amount of people's votes not counting. And that to me is despicable. So what is the Trump strategy right now. Uh, I listened to a, uh, a radio program this morning and a, a legal analyst came on and was explaining what the current strategy is. And, and essentially what it is right now is there, they want to contest enough ballots, get either enough ballots overturned or actually thrown out depending on the, the specific case of that, that ballot. They want to keep Biden under the 270 electoral college votes needed for them to declare him the winner. So if two people do not get to 270 by, what is it, December 13th or 19th, something like that, when they have to actually cast the electoral college, cast those votes, and then they declare a winner. If neither can reach 270 votes, then the election is essentially in a standstill and it can depending on the reason why it can either be thrown to the Supreme Court or in a a real Hail Mary of a plan, it seems that they want this election to go to the House of Representatives. So what happens if, if the election does make it that far um, with no declared winner? Well, then what would happen is each state, depending on their number of representatives in the House, which is determined by population counts, um, say this a state has... 10 representatives that are sent to D.C. to represent that state in the House. If four of those representatives are Republican and six are Democrats, then that state will cast one vote for the Democrat nominee Joe Biden. And then what that ends up meaning is right now the Republicans have a stronger 
um, representation in the House of Representatives, at least the way that this person um, explained it to the audience on the radio. Uh, I think this was yesterday. But in that situation, um, it looks like Trump could potentially win. But what are the ramifications of something like that? Uh, obviously, it's not optimal. Um, Thomas Jefferson, actually, in the 1800s, his first term, he won in the House of Representatives. But something to keep in mind is back then you had a handful of candidates from a handful of political parties, not like today, which is a very binary system. We have Republicans and Democrats, and then you've got your handful of votes cast for third party candidates. So what happens if for all this time, and this is one of the dangers of the media declaring a winner so early on in the process when it's obvious it's being contested, you know, Biden already setting up a stage with a, I saw on his Facebook or Twitter or something, there was a picture of him behind a, a nice desk with a nice chair with these massive screens in front of him and flags. And it said, you know, office of the president elect. And he says he's going to be meeting with world leaders and political strategists and things like that. And so when you've had now, what are we going on? By the time this process really starts wrapping up, we'll be going on a month of Biden calling himself president and Trump doing the same. And then if it goes to a very unpop, not unpopular, unfrequent um, scenario of the House declaring the winner or the Supreme Court declaring the winner, a lot of people, at least myself, in the time that I've been voting have never seen something like that. So it would be irregular. That's the word. As Bill O'Reilly would say, word of the day, irregular. Um, does that is that the, the the spark that ignites this powder keg of civil war talk? Is it's obvious it's not the optimal way for this election to turn out. But what's fair, what's not fair, Trump is within his rights to contest the election. And then you've got all these people descending on D.C. representing Donald Trump and saying that he's the the actual winner. All of this is just extremely up in the air at this point, which is why I've been encouraging you to just look for the facts, look for what is actually happening, not what is just being said. This is a real path to victory for Trump, but it is also a very unlikely path to victory. And at some point, although I did vote for Trump, at some point holding on to a potential victory is just damaging the process. So at what point do you say, hey, Trump, chill out? I don't think that it is necessarily a bad thing to start embracing these transition processes where the outgoing president is supposed to help bring in the new president and consult with him, show him what projects are being worked on, things like that. Obviously, they're both going to have severely different teams that they're going to uh, bring into the White House. But Trump has, has just been, he's planted his feet and has not been working with the transition team from what I've heard. And to me, of course, assuming that the news story I read is 100% accurate, I think that damages the process. But what we do know is that Michigan has come out and said that they have not or will not certify the results of the election because of all these contested ballots. So that is being touted as a victory for the Trump team, and it is further evidence that this election is far from over. But the bottom line is that this has all happened before, not these exact steps, and not necessarily recently. Most recently, uh, I say the 
obvious one that everybody's talking about was um, Bush v. Gore. And that went to three recounts. So we got to see what's going to happen. Both teams are going to do what they're going to do. But really, in the end, if you think about it, you're not being inconvenienced. I'm not being inconvenienced by Trump trying to show that he won the election, whether it's by fraud or whatever. At this point in time, nobody is inconvenienced except those who really want to maintain political power. I honestly don't give a crap who is in the White House or who wants to be in the White House. It really doesn't impact my day-to-day at this point. Long-term, obviously, yes. (laughs) But we can say without a shadow of a doubt that no matter what the outcome of the election is fraud election fraud has been exposed now who's responsible we're going to find out all of those different things but there is a level of election fraud that people have been comfortable with and we've gotten complacent about and this election is exposing much of that and i think that's a good thing um whether whoever takes the white house in the end of this process there's a reason why Biden doesn't take office on November 3rd. There's a reason why Trump didn't take office on November 3rd. There is a process and there is time given for these certain issues to be worked out. But something that I think is remarkable that uh, should be taken into account, no matter what side of this argument you're on, there are people literally staking their careers in jail time um, on this argument that there is mass election fraud and that Trump has a pathway to victory. Lawyers and constitutional scholars under penalty of perjury are saying that they have witnessed evidence of election fraud. And I think that's one of the, the best arguments anybody could make right now at this point in time, that, hey, there, there's something fishy going on. But if all that comes out of this is that we expose even the smallest levels of voter fraud, I think that puts the Trump team into a certain level of hero status just by itself. I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of this, Trump doesn't win, but he says, hey, I just put on my game face, um, my poker face, and I just saw the process through to expose all these little bits of election fraud. And hopefully a couple people go to jail who purposely made sure that their fellow citizens' votes didn't count or didn't get recorded as it was cast. And I think that's important. I just wish that Trump, yeah, if I was advising him, <laughs> maybe if he listens to this show one day, I don't know. I wish he would just make that added effort to to show that what he's doing is not just to burn everything down. He's not just trying to burn the forest down to, to find the thief. He is trying to do whatever it is he's trying to do. Uh, I would I would rather more communication between Trump to the American people, to all the American people, because what what's happening is Biden is doing that, and, and he is coming out as the sane, rational. Uh, we're going to leave this nightmare Trump presidency behind, and whether I'm elected or not, y'all should want me to be elected because I'm just Joe, good old Joe. But you know, we'll see what happens. In the end, we do know some truths, and something very important to note is that. The left loves whistleblowers. Have you ever noticed that? Have you noticed that they love people coming out of the Trump presidency, out of the Trump team, and saying that he's a bad dude for whatever reason? And what they love more than a whistleblower with a name and a face, they love a whistleblower that remains anonymous. They love a whistleblower that is nameless, that is faceless. Then they could put in their little news articles 
uh, sources close to the White House or an anonymous source familiar with the topic, things like that. You read a CNN article, and that's pretty much in every single paragraph, is that there's this unknown source that is saying something so damning to the president. And it's like, at some point, if you have that type of information, why would you not stamp your name on it? I understand the fear of retribution or the death threats that I'm sure they receive. But what you have with the 2020 election and this contesting is you have people with a name and with a face and with families and with jobs and careers and homes. And they're putting their name on the line. They're putting their face. They're coming out on the news and saying that there is election fraud. That should speak more than a faceless whistleblower. Unfortunately, all of these facts come down to how they're presented in the news media. And that's the, that's the sad truth of where we're at uh, as a country right now. And I think it's going to be once the dust settles and we get back to whatever the normal is um, post-COVID, I think we're going to start seeing this power be ripped from the hands of the, the large media companies. Of course, CNN is failing miserably. They're up for sale, and I think AT&T wants to buy them. AT&T is another liberal-loving, left, leftist-type company. They give to leftist causes um, very liberally. So I don't anticipate we'll see much change in CNN. I have a feeling they will go the, the route of Fox News, which is um, well to their graves, metaphorically speaking, of course. Moving on from the election... Um, we had the Million MAGA March. Uh, of course, it went by a lot of different names, but the, the vast majority of it was organized by, I think it was Women for Trump. And they had speakers come out, they had singers, and there's a very large um, discrepancy between how it was covered by different media outlets. And I will use the Blaze as the voice of reason because I, I go to the Blaze for both sides of the story. Um, the Blaze is one of these, it's a subscription platform. And, of course, started by Glenn Beck. You probably either love Glenn or you hate Glenn. I I like Glenn for his perspective. I think he's very fair. But what cannot be denied is when Glenn left Fox, when he saw the writing on the wall of how the news media companies were going to go, he was one of the first out there um, to go to a subscription platform where he is hosting his own network and you don't get the blaze on Fox. You get the blaze at theblaze.com. Um, and you got to pay for it if you want the full content. And what that does is when you put things behind a paywall, you don't, you're not beholden to sponsors. You're not beholden to certain, um, I guess legal, uh, bounds that would be, would be put on you if you were on just public news. So I challenge you, in regards to the, this MAGA march that happened in D.C., look, just Google, look at different news articles, look at CNN, look at MSNBC, look at Fox, and then look at something like The Blaze, look at the smaller media outlets, because the truth is not in the words, the truth is in the video, in the pictures, and if you look at CNN, MSNBC, even Fox now, what you see is a lot of ground-level pictures that look like a handful of people in front of the camera, and it doesn't look like much. That's point number one. Um, also point number one, if you look at outlets like The Blaze or smaller news outlets, 
where people were actually there. Elijah Schaefer from The Blaze. Uh, he's got a, a, a podcast, uh, Slightly Offensive. I've never actually listened to it, but I follow Elijah on Twitter, and he's always at the scene, whether it was a BLM protest or an Antifa looting buildings. He got punched in the face because he was filming the looting of like a Walmart or something. Those are the kinds of people that I want to follow because they're they're not saying, hey, this is what I think or what I believe. They're, they're, they're walking around with a phone and a camera crew and they are presenting the truth to you in real time. So you don't have to interpret that in any way. You see it with your own eyes. And that's the problem I've got with these larger media companies like CNN or MSNBC where, I mean, of course, everybody's seen the video where the, the news reporter, I think this was CNN, he's standing in front of a burning car and he's saying that the, the protest was largely peaceful. And things like that, it's, they are asking you to deny what you are seeing. And so when it comes to this MAGA march, they wanted you to see a handful of people in front of you and it's just these these weirdos, these Karens who are saying Trump should be the president. That's easy to write off. And if they did do a full story on it, it's because there was violence. But what they didn't tell you is that were there were tens of thousands of people in D.C. Now, a normal D.C. march may be thousands. But a march like this people had to fly in or drive in to attend this march. This was a significant event. And yet these large media companies want you to ignore it. So again, my challenge, look at the pictures, look at the videos. This is where Twitter is a great source. If you know who to follow, follow Elijah Schaefer and he'll, you'll see plenty of video of this massive march. And I say march, that's what they're calling it because a march is not a rally. A march is supposed to be a peaceful event, just like a Martin Luther King March. Martin Luther King, it was a rule that if you were if you attended his marches, you could not throw punches. If somebody hits you in the face, you took it. And that's a fact. So a march is meant it's a strategic move to to display the power of your numbers while also maintaining the peace. And so point two on this, when you look at the CNN articles and things, most of the time the very first sentence You'll see something like the MAGA march marked by violence between Trump supporters and counter protesters, things like that. You will read about the violence. What they don't necessarily tell you right offhand is how the violence came out only after dark and once the Antifa's rolled in. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at a um, a Fox article here. Media takes heat for ignoring violent attacks on Trump supporters at MAGA rally. It's an important truth to look at because this was an event that Elijah Schaefer from The Blaze described as everybody from a mom of three to a tatted up biker to black people to gay people to everything. People from Puerto Rico, Beijing, China, supporting Donald Trump. And yet there's a media blackout when it comes to that angle of the story. All they want to report on is that there was violence, that this MAGA rally or MAGA march was no different from a violent BLM or Antifa protest. It was the same thing, just more negative, more and more negative, except now they can assign blame to Trump supporters. And it's, it's completely false because it was, 
a beautiful event. There was prayer. There were people kneeling. There was singing of the national anthem. Much like a Tea Party rally during the Obama administration, it was clean. It was peaceful. It was joyful. People were full of hope, and they were happy. And then darkness came, and then the Antifas rolled in, and then there was the violence. There were Trump supporters just flat out smacked in the face by Antifa cowards hitting somebody in the head and then running. That seems to be their um, method of operation these days. Hit and run, hit and run. And it's despicable that the, the large media companies, the news media companies, don't cover the truth. They cover what fits their agenda. And it's really sad. So again, I challenge you, spend 30 minutes, 20 minutes, just go on Google and just look at how the different news media outlets covered it. You'll see a lot of nighttime video, evening videos of violence, but you won't see a lot of daytime pictures, overhead pictures of the sheer thousands, the numbers of people that were there. Peaceful until Antifa rolled in. So then I told you we would get into this Great Reset. Um, if you've never heard of the Great Reset, well, Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister, he, he's, he's come out as if the Great Reset is something everybody's been wanting for a long time. And yet, if you Google it, and if you put in a little uh, time filter of you know, 2019 and earlier, you see a lot of stuff about it being a conspiracy theory. So what is the Great Reset? Essentially what it is, is it's taking America out of this pyramid of hierarchy in the world, hierarchy of power and wealth, and it's leveling the playing field globally. So we've heard a lot about that nationally where um, you know people paying their fair share. Obama loved that phrase. You want to take the, the rich people down a little bit and bring the lower people, the poor people up. Put that on a global scale. And so what Trudeau said to me is extremely... What's the word? Um, enlightening. Because you see that this is a plan that has been in place for a long time. So while they were calling... A lot of people, including like the Glenn Becks of the world, calling them conspiracy theorists, they had plans in the works, just waiting for an event to open up an opportunity to implement something like the Great Reset. So I'll, I'll let I'll let him tell it to you in his own words. This is again Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister, talking about the Great Reset and how COVID nineteen fits into that plan. Building back better means getting support to the most vulnerable while maintaining our momentum on reaching the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and the SDGs. Canada is here to listen and to help. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality and climate change. So what does that sound like to you? Sounds to me like COVID-19 was not necessarily, obviously, I don't, I don't think it was on purpose. But anytime you, you see a sentence like, the pandemic has provided an opportunity. It harkens back to the, the old creed of never let a, a good crisis go to waste. Can't remember who said that, but that's what's happening. And so what they want to do is essentially they're using a global pandemic to address global challenges. This is our chance, quoting Justin Trudeau, this is our chance to accelerate 
are pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. So what does that mean? That means this is one of those events that happens where people like you and me are completely helpless to change the course of a global pandemic. It takes governments and it takes militaries. And it takes the full force of any sort of private sector that the government calls in. But in the end, you and I are kind of helpless. <laughs> There's nothing really that I have ever done or ever could do to affect the power or the impact of COVID-19. And so with that government effort comes added government powers. We saw that after 9-11 with the Patriot Act, which was Obama's bread and butter, really. It came about as, okay, we've got to use the government to do these certain things, violate certain rights so that we can hunt down the terrorists and take them out. And then we've got today where Alexa's freaking spying on you. <laughs> and so take that to the Great Reset. Now you've got global powers coming together to impact the global economy. And you can tie that into what Biden has already said his plan would be as far as a COVID vaccine goes, is Biden doesn't necessarily want it to be America first, even though America put in the millions and billions of dollars to develop these vaccines through Operation Warp Speed, which was Donald Trump's um, team, his effort to put to combine government and private sector effort to create a vaccine for COVID-19. So any, I would, I would say sane, rational person would say, hey, if I developed something specifically for and by um, American effort for the American people, the American people should get it first, right? Well, Biden is saying, no, American people should not get the vaccine first. The world should get the vaccine. We need to, in essence, level the playing field. And it's a it's a scary trend coming from people who don't believe you can look back to the 1619 project. We talked about that a little bit uh, in episode six and uh, what was it? Um, critical race theory and how all of that ties into the COVID lockdowns and big tech censorship, the whole black mirror scenario that I gave you. The great reset is just another large component to that where it's not America first. If you start leveling the playing field, everybody thinks that, okay, there's people with more resources, more money, more assets, more whatever, more power, more influence. Private sector, I'm speaking, because the, the government loves to maintain their own power and keep their own power. They don't like giving their own power away, but they definitely want to give other people's power and wealth away. So it doesn't mean just bringing the poorest among us up. Their plans always involve taking from the people at the top and redistributing, redistributing to those at the bottom. And that's counterintuitive. It's counter to everything that our system is built on. Because if you could work 10 hours and make X amount of dollars, work 15 hours and make double the amount, there are people out there who would call that unfair. You'd call that you seizing on an opportunity. And you would expect to keep that additional wealth. But what has happened is we've taken those who've put their own effort and not only their own effort, they've accepted a great deal of risk. They've had 
businesses go under. They've they've got a family that relies on their business, and the 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 taxers of the world, the people who want to increase taxes on the air quotes wealthy, see those business owners as wealthy because their business that you know they're the only owner of that LLC, and so they bring in let's say a million dollars in revenue a month. That looks like that person's really wealthy, but what it doesn't display is that there are wages that come out of there. There are expenses that come out of there. So that person is not rich, although a lot of cash flows through their business. They're not taking home a million dollars to spend on fancy cars. Well, maybe they are. Whatever they're paying themselves, it's up to them. But at what point do people who have not taken that risk or put in their assets, invested in a business and turned it from nothing into something, what gives them the right to claim some of those profits for themselves. It is, it goes against everything in our, in our being. And yet so many people support it because it sounds great. It's like, Oh yeah, Robin, take from the rich, give to the poor. It sounds nice on paper and you can, you can assign so many good attributes and motivations behind it. But you can have great intentions. You can want to do great things to create this utopian world. But if you have to do it at the the threat of imprisonment or the threat of, you know, losing your assets, instead of, you know, they say, hey, give some of your assets to these poor people or else, at what point does it turn from charity into just thievery, you know? Everybody has an idea of what the rich is in their head, and it's always somebody who's wealthier than they are, right? You don't think of yourself as rich necessarily. You think of the people who live in that nice house over there on that hill. They're the rich people. But you don't know what it took for them to get to that house. And that and that's the, the level of benefit of the doubt that people don't give to each other. And so I'll, I'll wrap this one up now, but bottom line, there are global efforts that we're not even necessarily aware of, but these global efforts, these global players are using these events like COVID-19 or like a 9-11 or an election, a presidential election that's highly contested in the most powerful nation in the world. They use those events like chess pieces. And at that point, you're beyond Republican and Democrat. And that's why these petty arguments between right and left, conservative and liberal and libertarian and um, progressive they're so petty and they're so pointless it's a distraction you know they say you know don't focus so much on one hand that you miss what the other one's doing and right now we're focusing so much on this election and this COVID situation that we're not watching the people who are immune to all of these things because they can isolate themselves in their castles they're the ones making decisions and really while we've taken our eye off the ball because we're focusing on these other momentary things, they're furthering their global historical efforts, good or bad. And so it's important to focus on those things. So I'm going to, I'm going to include plenty of links in the show notes where you can kind of see some of this stuff for yourself. But I encourage you, if you got one of those nights, <laughs> I used to have plenty of drunken nights where I would just go down the YouTube rabbit holes. That's, that's a fun time. But if you, if you get a few minutes, just do, do some searching and find reputable news outlets, but don't just rely on the CNNs or the Fox news. Follow the ones who there are real people just like you, just like me, 
who are staking their lives and their livelihoods on getting the truth out there. Find the truth nuggets in what these crazy people might say. Discard the rest that can't be proven. And like I've said before, if you're going to read a news article, look for the hyperlinks. Look for the references. And if there aren't any, if it's a, a typical CNN where it's an unnamed source saying an uh, unspoken thing, but they're quoting them anyways, be, be skeptical. <laughs> so I'll leave you with that. Um, I'll see you again Friday. Hopefully nothing crazy's happened between Wednesday and Friday, but I'll give you your, your Friday debrief um, here in a couple days. In between now and then, just keep an eye out on the news, look for the truth, discard the rest. And again, back to this election process, it is a process, it is working, it's not broken. We're just finding out certain things about it that we did not necessarily account for before. So with that, stay positive, be nice to each other, smile at somebody you don't know, um... Just do those basic all-American things. You see some trash on the ground, don't shake your head and walk away. Pick it up, throw it away. You know, I know it's not your trash, but suck it up. (laughs) Do the right thing and uh, be kind to each other and be nice on social media and don't start fights. All those basic things we thought we knew before, but now social media has made us these keyboard warriors. So fight that temptation and just um, look for those opportunities to love each other and in spite of politics, just love each other. That's the that's the message today. So take care. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you Friday.